if I were just starting out, right, mm-hmm. I would basically, I would start off with a realtor, a property manager, and a lender. Okay. So, um, those are the, those are the three that you absolutely need to have. Welcome to Teach Me Real Estate Investing, a show where I share my personal journey and the challenges I face as an investor. I invite industry experts to share their wisdom and advice to help me overcome these adversities with the hope that it'll help you on your own personal journey. I'm your host, Sogad Ghimire, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode. Today, we're lucky to have Ben Hubert with us, and we're going to be talking about out-of-state investing, raising private capital, and the Burr Method. It's a lot, and it's an episode you won't want to miss. So, Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you. It's, uh, it's my pleasure. Yeah, so just a little bit of background for the audience. If, um, so you and I were part of the same mentorship program, and you're absolutely crushing it. So I'm so excited for today, uh, especially because, you know, we get to pick your brain and see, you know, how it is that you've been accomplishing all these things. Uh, but before I do, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, how did you get started in real estate investing? Where are you on your journey today? And what made you choose real estate investing? Yeah, so I, uh, I live in San Jose, California. Um, my day job, I'm a, I'm a uh, electrical engineer designing microprocessors. I, it's in a very expensive area, and I, I wanted to figure out a way to sort of make uh, some additional income. Um, and for me, I, I always really was interested in real estate, but I felt like it was also a vehicle where I could really kind of set myself up sort of for you know, my retirement, my future, potentially getting financial freedom, those sorts of things. So um, I was always interested in real estate. So that's where I just kind of started like really educating myself um, and started taking some chances. Um, right now, I have 12 doors, 11 properties. Um, they are in Birmingham, Alabama, San Antonio, Texas, St. Louis, Missouri, and Oakland, California. Yeah. So the reason, you know, so the reason, like I said, I wanted to really get in pretty much financial freedom. Um, I also found out that one of the other things that I really kind of became passionate about is I actually want to start a, uh, I'm going to eventually start a nonprofit for survivors of domestic violence. So I really want to figure out a way to get long-term to medium-term housing for these survivors. So for me right now, I'm building my real estate portfolio for myself, and I want to eventually get to the point where I can move some of those properties over by finding good deals into my into a nonprofit so that I can provide these services. Um, so that's really kind of my long term goal and really my why as to why am I doing yeah. it right now? Yeah, that's incredible. Uh, so 12 doors you mentioned. And could you give us a bit of a time frame on when did you get started and how, how long it took you to, uh, you know, uh, acquire all those 12 doors? Yeah, so I actually uh, acquired the 12 doors over the course of almost three years. Okay. So, uh, yeah, so it it really it really started uh, turnkey investments in Birmingham, Alabama. I started getting into the burn method, doing a little bit of flipping. Um, and, you know, I would say that in 2023 was definitely my best year. I bought five properties, no, mm-hmm. 
six properties uh, in 2022. So that's when I actually started. So now I'm picking up a lot of momentum in terms of um, what I'm doing and, you know, really putting together my team. Um, and everything is a lot smoother. I found a market and everything like that. St. Louis, Missouri. That's where I do the majority of my investing now. So, yeah, about yeah. three years. And really, it's kind of building from from there. Yeah. Uh, what were some of the challenges you faced when you initially got started? Um, and I guess, how did you overcome those? For me, that was like the biggest challenge. How do I basically step back, trust my team, build a good team, and really just focus on the things that I'm really good at. So that was like my biggest challenge. But the the other thing outside of that was really building a team. And that's a really, really hard, it can be very challenging. Um, the reason why is because, um, you know, you don't, I don't really get an opportunity too often to really meet face-to-face because this is really like a relationship business, right? Like I like to meet people face-to-face, talk to them, but it's very hard to do that when I'm a thousand miles away. So, you know, we could do things like Zoom, talk on the phone, that sort of thing. But it just there's a little something that's sort of missing for that. So also kind of vetting, vetting some of them, seeing some of the some of the things that they do you know, walking properties with them, those sorts of things is a little more challenging being thousands of miles away. So I had to kind of figure out ways to sort of use what I had available to me to actually still continue to vet these uh, these individuals and make sure that it was a good fit for the both of us. So those are probably the two things that were really most challenging for me um, in my investment journey. And the way that I accomplished them. All right. So that's the other thing. So when it came to out-of-state investing, I knew that I wanted to get cash flowing rental properties. Okay. And the area that I'm at, it's very, very hard to do that. You got to put like a lot of money down. So for me, I knew that I knew that it wasn't feasible to do that or it's harder to do that in this area, in the area that I'm at. Some people do it. Mm -hmm. But for me, I knew that with the capital that I had, I knew that there were other areas that were, um, easier to do that. So especially starting out, you know, the price point is a little bit lower. So I knew for me, so basically I had to wrap my head around the fact that I knew I had to find another market in order Mm -hmm. to do this. So how I accomplished it is a lot of education. I got a mentor, um, really joined some uh, real estate investment uh, associations, really kind of picking other people's brains, trying to understand, um, particularly someone's doing out-of-state investing. Like, how do you do it? Like, even though it's a different market, you know, it's the same set of problems. <laughs> so right. I really talked to a lot of people. Um, and that's one of the ways that I really kind of got more confidence in myself that, hey, other people are doing this. So can I. So yeah. that was one of the big things. And then building a team, you know, it was for that. It was just trial by error. You know, I bought a property. I'm like, yo, I got to figure out something to do with this. <laughs> so yeah. for me, I just basically said, OK, I'm I'm going to keep trying. And then I basically refined and I found out by doing more deals, I found out exactly what I needed. And when I knew exactly what I needed, it was much, much easier to find somebody that fit that criteria. So, you know, my interview questions became different when I'm talking to a realtor, when I'm talking to a contractor or a property yeah. manager. So I know what I want and I can figure out like, hey, you know, is this going to be a good fit for the both of us? So, yeah, yeah those, those are the two things that I, that I did, that the challenges and how I sort of um, overcame them. Yeah. Uh, and I think uh, folks can take away a lot from that, right? Like I myself struggle with this where I always... I feel like I'm always worried about what's to come. Like if I find a deal, like, oh, there are so many things I need to figure out, like how am I going to finance it? Who's going to do the work and all these things that come in my mind. And I feel like that usually stops people from making progress. Um, And so it sounds like, you know, you kind of just, you know, put yourself out there. You bought a property and then, you know, the other solutions came uh, afterwards. So I think um, 
you know, more of us can learn from, uh, you know, what you've done. And if we, you know, just take action, I think we can learn along the way. Uh, what do you think was the one key factor that helped you become successful? Um, you know, I think you're gaining a lot of momentum right now, as you mentioned, right? You started off, you, it was a little slower and now you're gaining momentum and 2022 was your best year and 2023 is just starting and I, I know you're already crushing it. So what is it that you think was the one factor that helped you become uh, successful? Yeah, I would say, uh, I would say consistency. And, and I say that because um, throughout my journey, it's been kind of sporadic, right? So I bought a couple of properties here, then I changed markets, bought a couple mm -hmm. properties there. Oh, let me try this different strategy. Um, right. Also, it was like, and, and the other thing about the consistency is, um, there's a couple of things that I didn't, that I didn't necessarily have, right? So one was a really effective strategy for funding deals, right? So okay. I, I've done the bird, bird method. I've done some other, I tried a bunch of other things, but I basically needed to find how do I fund these deals, right? Um, so I had to figure out exactly how that, what that looked like. Uh, so we'll talk about that later. So the private money and the hard money, um, bird solutions. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out the the financing of it. So a lot of times it's sporadic because I was funding everything out of my pocket. So, and it's limited, right? Like, I mean, everyone's pocket is limited, right? So for me, I'm like, all right, if all my money is tied up in these deals, right? I can't do anything else. So um, that was one of the things. Um, and then just being consistent in terms of, hey, my focus right now is two things. I find deals and I find ways to fund deals. Um, I have a partner that handles like, handles like the construction aspect of it, handling property managers. So I just focus on those two things. That's it. So once, so now I just raise private money and I try to find deals. So, and I do that consistently every single day. And that's what really, really changed the game for me. Um, and one last thing is, the other thing is putting a lot of the stuff on social media, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of things kind of came from like posting everything that I do. When I put something under contract, when I close, progress, pictures for rehabs, did I go to a RIA meeting, whatever it is, anything real estate related, I'd put on social media. So what that did was it really allowed people that were in the market that I was looking at, St. Louis, they would follow me. We could talk, you know, hey, I'm looking for I'm looking for a deal. And maybe if I have something that is more for me, you know, I can pass it off to them as a wholesale deal or I help people and maybe we can partner with one another. So a lot of these relationships I was able to build through social media and then also on the private money side, you know, people started asking me about real estate. You know, I'm no expert, but I know what I've done and I know the mistakes that I've made. So I can certainly share that with other people. So just getting in that dialogue and talking to people about real estate really helps a lot um, in terms of the social aspect of, um, of it. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. Um, I want to get start getting into, um, you know, out of state investing. Uh, and some of the challenges around that. Just because I myself am in a similar situation, I'm also in an expensive market, so I'm also looking to invest out of state. Uh, but um, I guess, could you describe, I know we already touched on this a little, but like just with out of state investing, what are some of the challenges that come along? Um, and uh, you mentioned you have a team. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that really means? Like who's on your team um, and why is this important? Yeah. All right. So, um, all right. So, so one of the keys, um, and this is what kind of took me a little while to really settle on 
and kind of get this momentum is you got to pick a market, right? So there's a lot of people that would just invest wherever or they're like, oh, I hear that this area is hot and I keep moving around. Mm -hmm. I did that a little bit, but um, really picking a market like that was like really the key thing. So once and once you pick a market, right, which for me there you, you have to understand. So for me, I had to understand, okay, what is my goal? Like what is really, really important to me? Right. right. There's a lot of factors that one could look into. Right. Like, hey, mm-hmm. do I want appreciation? Do I want cash flow? Do I want a combination of both? Do I want, uh, you know, what is my exit strategy? Do I also want to do some flips? Do I want to do short term rentals? Like, what do I want to do? Right. So really focusing on the strategy that I wanted to do and what criteria I had in terms of what I wanted from real estate investing. So for me, it was cash flow. Right. Like plain and simple. I wanted cash flow. Right. right. So appreciation. I mean, if it happens, cool, but I don't want to bank on appreciation. I want to look at cash flow. So for me, I then looked at all the markets, all the major markets when people talk about, hey, you know, I looked at about 30 different markets and I looked at a bunch of different criteria to determine which really fit well for me. Right. So the things that I looked at was I looked at appreciation. I looked at price to rent ratio. I looked at vacancy rates. I looked at the property tax rates. I looked at how affordable it is. So that would be like how much somebody makes versus what they would typically pay for rent. Um, also looked at whether it was landlord friendly or tenant friendly areas. I looked at job growth. I looked at crime. Like a lot of these things, like a lot of these factors I basically looked into so I could basically determine, okay, what city am I actually looking at? Am I interested in investing in? Right. So I set it on St. Louis. But then at that point in time, like, you know, I was also kind of flailing around trying to figure out where in St. Louis, right? It's a, it's a pretty big area, a lot of different zip codes, right. there's suburbs, there's in the city, right? So after that, I really had to figure out, like, where in the city is it going to work for what I'm trying to do? And mm-hmm. from there, I also had to kind of dig a little bit deeper into individual zip codes, looking at the same sort of information and trying to figure out, okay, this is the area that I really want to invest in. This kind of fits the strategy that I'm doing. Like, with the burn method, I know that I can buy a property, you know, I can buy, purchase plus rehab for about $100,000, rent it out for twelve fifty. Right. That's that's my buy box. I found an area that I fit really well with and I've just been buying in that area ever since. So that's that's one of the things that uh, that was really important is selecting the market. Um, that was one of the challenges. Um, and then in terms of my team. All right. So my team is I have. Yeah. So I, I have a realtor who helps me find all market properties. I have boots on the ground. So I have another guy that what he does is he goes visit properties. Like if I find something off market, I'm out of state, right? So I need somebody to actually go by there and yeah. and and look at these properties and you know take some pictures and a video and that sort of thing and kind of give me his opinion. He's actually a wholesaler also. So sometimes if it's a deal that doesn't work for me, we'll partnership on the wholesale. So for us, it's a, a, a really good relationship and it's win-win for both of us. Um, I also have a general contractor. Um, I have a property manager. I have a I have a title company that I work with. I have an insurance agent. I also have a handyman just in case something breaks um, on some of my properties I, I, and I need to call somebody quick. I have those things. Um, and then I also have lenders, right? So I have different types of lenders. I have, have my hard money lender that I love to use. I actually have a couple of hard money lenders, depending upon what the deal looks like. I have a couple of hard money lenders. I also have some small banks that I have relationships with. So when I want to do a refinance out of it, I also have some, some um, private money I have some other portfolio mm-hmm. um, lenders also. 
So I have a couple of different options depending on the deal and yeah. what rates and, and what I'm looking to do. I have a couple of different options in terms of financing. So that's pretty much the team that I put together along with my partner who helps me with those, uh, with the construction side of things and also the, uh, the property management. Yeah. Uh, going back to how you vetted the market in the first place, right? You, you mentioned a lot of data points. Are there certain, how, how would you recommend people find this data? Like where do, should they go look up and figure out, you know, you mentioned a couple of things like rent to price uh, ratio and you mentioned, uh, you know, the job to, uh, in like income to rent ratio as well. Um, and then you yeah. mentioned a couple of other things like job growth. Like th this is a lot of things, right? Uh, <laughs> is there, is there uh, I guess, a certain strategy that you use, certain place that you went to gather all this data? Do you have recommendations for folks who are going through this exercise right now, such as myself, right? I'm like, hey, uh, these are a couple of markets I'm interested in, but uh, I haven't really dug into as much data as you have. And so I yeah. want to make sure, you know, I don't miss anything. Yeah, absolutely. So... All right. So the places that I look to get this information is um, I look uh, I look at bestplaces.net is uh, a good place for a lot of information about zip codes, also for specific cities. It has economic data. It has uh, housing data, um, demographics, a lot of information there. Um, I also mm -hmm. look a lot on Zillow. Right. So Zillow actually has a research data portion of it. What gives you like home price information and right um, and rent information, it, it, breaks, it can break it down by um, uh, metropolitan areas or it also um, breaks it down by, um, by zip codes. You can do both of those things. Um, I also find like a vacancy information from, like I said, bestplaces.net. Um, there's also like a, a couple of sites I can, uh, I can actually send them to you, but like economic growth. Um, you can search for like um, economic growth for personal income in different areas. Um, in terms of job growth, I look, uh, there's a place, uh, there's www.depdepartmentofnumbers.com. So it also gives you a lot of information, a lot of information there. So those are the main um, pieces of data that I actually use to sort of kind of put all this uh, stuff together. And then from there, I just have a couple of simple calculations that kind of sort of give me um, a little bit of information as to sort of like what I'm actually... The, the points that I actually care about, I sort of have those sort of, um, kind of put together. So, yeah, yeah, those are the those are the main areas that I kind of look for. Oh, and the other thing is like, uh, I also just Google like uh, landlord friendly states. Right. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> that just kind of gives me I mean, that kind of gives me an idea as to like what did one consider as a landlord friendly state. Right. So I get a lot of information from there. And that's pretty much landlord friendly for me just means how easy is it to evict somebody? And the other thing is, can I increase the rents um, when I want? Are there any restrictions in terms of the things that I can and cannot do? So understanding those things. So, yeah. yeah. And then we'll add all the links to the description for folks who yeah. are listening. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and then your team itself, you have a lot of people, right? I don't want folks yeah. who are uh, who are uh, getting started to get overwhelmed. So if, yeah. if someone is trying to get started today, what are the crucial pieces? Like who are the team members that they need, the crucial uh, uh, members that they need? And uh, yeah, tell us a little bit about like how you found them, right? Like I know yeah. uh, you mentioned, you know, some of it was, you know, you just had to trial and error, but uh, are, uh, now it sounds like you, you're more, you're more experienced. There are certain questions you ask of your contractors or your agent. Could you walk us through um, some of these questions and strategies you use to, you know, vet them? Yeah. All right. So 
um, if I were just starting out, right, mm -hmm. I would basically, I would start off with a realtor, a property manager, and a lender. Okay. So, um, those are the, those are the three that you absolutely need to have. And this is for my strategy, the, the burst strategy, mm -hmm. right? So you can, the realtor will basically have MLS properties. I would typically say they would go visit them, take pictures, videos, et cetera, talk to you about ARV, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So that's sort of like your deal finder. So that piece, so that's, that's probably one of the more straightforward ways to non-marketing ways to, to actually find a deal, right. Is through the MLS. Um, the next thing is the property manager. So for me, I'm basically acquiring rentals. So mm -hmm. I also like to have my property managers do the work for me, the rehab work for me. So okay. I don't need a contractor if I basically have my property manager doing it. Now, the caveat to that is that they are going to basically hire contractors and subcontractors to do the work. Contractors are going to add a little bit of money on top of it. And then my property management company is probably going to charge a little, a little bit of money on that also. So it's a little bit more expensive, but you have a one-stop shop. And the other thing mm -hmm. is that like property managers, they're actually going to be managing the property. So if you find a good one, they're going to do a good job and make sure that stuff is actually in pretty good order, not breaking down because they don't want to answer any calls just as much as I don't want them to answer calls. So, and then the other piece is the lender, right? And this is one of the ones that pretty much you want to get your lending in order as soon mm -hmm. as possible, or at least an understanding and some options in terms of doing that. Um, so for me, it's finding a hard money lender, right? So, um, yeah. So once you have those pieces, the hard money lender basically can get you into the deal. Um, once you, you actually have some time with the burn method to actually refinance out of it. So that gives you a little bit more time to find another option. And that's a portfolio lender, a small bank or something like that. So, you know, may take um, six months or more to do that. So in that case, you have a little bit more time. But those are the three crucial crucial um, um, pieces that you need. Um, you know, your realtor is probably going to give you a title company. Um, you know, insurance agent, you can probably pick one of those, a broker in the area. So um, all the other pieces, you know, you can kind of feel depending upon as you sort of evolve in your business. Yeah. Is it um, common for property managers to, uh, I guess hire the contractors and subcontractors for you. I guess this isn't a strategy I've heard of before, right? Uh, what does what your initial conversation look like when you're approaching property managers and saying, hey, this is what I'm trying to accomplish. It might be slightly outside of your wheelhouse, but you know, this is a win-win situation. Could you walk us through that a little? Yeah, so um, different property manager companies are sort of able to do this and some probably don't necessarily like to do it, right? So, okay. but I think about it like this. Every property manager has the ability to do turnover, right? Mm -hmm. So tenant moves out, another tenant needs to move in. They got to do that work, right? They got to figure out a way to do it, whether or not they have an in-house person or whether or not they hire subcontractors or whether or not they hire a general contractor, right? So that, yeah. so that for me basically means they're, gonna, they're able to do floors, they're able to do painting, minor repairs, that sort of thing they can take care of, right? So I'm not too concerned about that, generally speaking, right? right? But for a lot of what I'm looking at for these distressed properties that actually need a little bit more work, I know that I really, I need somebody to do a little bit more, right? So right. I have that conversation with them. I say, hey, listen, um, this is sort of the strategy that I do, right? So are you able to, so at what level of rehab are you comfortable managing, right? Because at the end of the day, they're managing the general contractor or subs, right? So right. some of them, hey, strictly cosmetic, that's cool. 
Um, and other ones are like, hey, listen, you know, I'll go down to a gut rehab. Right. So mm -hmm. having that conversation with them in terms of these are the type of properties that I'm going to buy. Are you willing to manage that prop uh, that project for what it takes to, to, to get it to the finish line? Um, yeah. So that's uh, so really that's the conversation that I have with them. Um, and then I you know, also talk to them about like how much is it going to cost? Are you going to tack on an additional 10 percent? Um, you know, right. trying to get some uh, understanding as to sort of like what it's going to cost me and what they're uh, able to do or willing, willing to do. Yeah. Uh, in in one particular market, do you work with multiple property managers or do you usually have this one go to property manager that you go to for all your rehab uh, needs? Yeah. So um, in terms of property managers, um, so one one other thing in terms of selecting property manager is they have to be able to they they, they have to manage properties in that mm -hmm. area. Right. Yeah. So I have some properties that are in class C minus neighborhoods. Right. Okay. So not every property manager deals with that. I have one property manager. They pretty much just do sort of like C plus and above neighborhoods. Right. So if I find a really, really screaming deal um, mm -hmm. in a C minus neighborhood, I know that I can't go to them. Right. So I have another property manager that I know that will handle um, those areas. Right. So I have pretty much two property managers that I that I work with. Um, so that pretty much covers. Um, and if neither one of them um, want to imagine that area, I have to rethink whether or not I actually want to buy that particular deal so mm -hmm. yeah is there are there certain questions you ask that helps you kind of weed out some property managers that you don't want to work with um, like you know how do you uh, identify I guess the bad ones that you should avoid yeah so yeah so um, well the first thing is like so the questions that I'm typically going to ask them. So mm -hmm. the most important thing for me, like quite honestly, you know, price, I mean, they're all pretty standard, right? But the most important thing to me is how do we communicate and do we get along, right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, we're going to have to have some hard conversations, right? Yeah. So, um, and what is, the, what is the way that you best communicate? Like I personally, I'm a let's get on the phone type of guy, right? Yeah. Some people want to do it through email. It's probably not going to work best for me if all of our communications through email, right? It's just right. for me. Like I prefer, listen, let's get on the phone, let's talk this out. I don't want all the back and forth. It's not necessary for me. So communication right. style is another thing that I that I the first thing that I ask, right? And then the other thing is I kind of walk them through what it is. My first question is, listen, I'm looking for a property, right? Are you going to go take a look at the property? You know, give me an estimate in terms of what you think the rent is going to be. Um, are you going to go get bids for me? Like, what are you are you willing to do these things that I need to get my to, for my business to work? Right. And then what is your what does your tenant selection look like? Right. Are you going to pick the tenants or are you going to send me a bunch of tenants and say, hey, do you approve this one or not? Right. Yeah. I personally I don't want to I want to deal with my partner does most of it, but we don't want to deal with any of the tenant selection at all. Right. So you pick them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And if they need to go, we have a conversation. It's time to go. You handle all that. For me, yeah. all I really, yeah. So I want to be as hands-off as possible and focus on the things that um, that I can do in my business. So I pretty yeah. much talk to them about, and then what is the frequency of communication? Are mm -hmm. we going to talk every week? Are we going to talk every month? Are you going to send me an email every quarter? Right? Because for me, I at least want to know what's going on. I mean, I'm going to get my statements and stuff like that, but there's a lot of things that aren't in the statements, right? Yeah. Like the maintenance that just happened. Hey, I, I got this bill. For five hundred dollars, what was it for, right? Or right. hey, you know the tenant's late. You know what I'm saying? So I want to make sure that 
we're communicating on a regular basis. So I, I, I let them know what my expectations are and I see if they are willing mm-hmm. to, to, to do the things that I'm, that I'm, that, that I expect. Right. So that's really kind of the conversation that I have. I look at my business. I say, hey, I know where I want you to fit in. Are you able to do that? Able or willing willing to do that? So, yeah, those are sort of the questions that I ask. That's awesome. Uh, your strategy when it comes to actually finding the properties, right? you mentioned a little bit about you have a realtor who will find you properties on market, right? Um, but I know a lot of your deals are also off market. So are there certain strategies you use for finding these off market deals? And do you tend to gravitate to, you know, towards one method over the other? Yeah, so I... So how I, so my, my marketing channels for finding off-market deals, I use uh, primarily, I use two methods. One, mm-hmm. I do SMS text messaging, mm-hmm. and the other one I do is cold calling. Okay. So I, I don't care which marketing channel um, I get the deal from. Um, in fact, I've noticed that um, there are some people that respond to text messages and some people respond to cold calling, right? So mm-hmm. for me, I had them with both and mm-hmm. I kind of see whoever's interested. Cause for me, at the end of the day, um, the goal is to get my virtual assistant or my acquisitions manager on the phone with somebody negotiating whether or not they want the price that they want to sell their house. Mm-hmm. That's it. Right. So how do I get to that point? Basically just have to kind of weed people out text messages, um, really work well because they're cheap, you know, uh, with a price per touch. Um, cold calling is a little bit more expensive. Um, but I use, I have a VA that actually does some cold calling for me. Um, and she also does text messaging. And then I also have a, I use REI call center. And I use them because they have a cold caller and an acquisitions manager. And they pretty much just send me deals, right? Yeah. So they put it in, um, my asana basically they you know they just have you know they let me know whether or not it's a hot lead um whether or not there's a a contract that needs to be sent um and kind of just go from there um so those are the the main strategies i use to find the uh the off-market deals um yeah but if i were to say i probably prefer text messaging because it's a little bit cheaper right so so uh the text messaging do you do that yourself as well, or is it mostly your VA, or do you use another service like REA Call Center? I guess is for the cold calling, but is there a similar one for uh, SMS text messaging? Yeah, so I actually, uh, so I have my VA split um, split time uh, between um, cold calling and, uh, and text messaging. So yeah. sort of when she first starts in the middle of her shift, and at the end of her shift, she basically handles um, the text messaging. Yeah, that's awesome. So, so the oh, okay, so. <laughs> So the software actually sends out all the text messages, but the time that she spends is actually just responding to the text messages I see. and uh, calling them back. Yeah. Okay. I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. And if you are, I would really appreciate it if you could give me a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening to me on. It would help get the podcast in front of more people so that they can also get value out of it. Thank you so much. Now let's get back to the show. Awesome. Uh, let's get into financing. Um, you know, you're trying to acquire a lot. And, you know, these are questions that I, you know, struggle with all the time as well. Um, 
Could you tell us a little bit about your strategy for actually financing the deals? I know you mentioned uh, you have few lenders. Uh, walk us through, you know, your first choice, or you know, or is it like different strategies require different type of lenders or different types of financing? Walk us through that. Yeah. All right. So, um, I have two. Um, I have two lenders, right? And I mm-hmm. I use them depending upon the deal itself, right? So my preferred um, hard money lender is a minimum loan amount of hundred thousand dollars, right? So if I have a deal that's like only sixty five, I can't use them, and I use somebody else. Right. Okay. So the reason why they're my preferred lender is uh, they actually lend up to 70 percent of the ARV. Okay. So that's it. So if I find a deal. So for me, if I find a deal that base that I can do the purchase price plus rehab for 70 percent of the ARV, they'll fund 100 mm-hmm. percent yeah. of the deal. Yeah. And all I have to do is come with closing costs. So yeah. I use them for that reason. And helps me to um, really grow my business because if I'm just paying for closing costs, I can get a lot more deals, right? Yeah. So my other lender, it's pretty much 10% of the purchase price and they pay for the rehab, right? So um, that's, uh, yeah, so that's that's the two hard money lenders that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I do is, so, and then the other thing that I do is in terms of financing my deals is, you know, I want to scale fast, right? right. So um, the other thing that I do is I use uh, private money. Mm-hmm. So if I use my own money, you know, let's just say I have fifty thousand dollars in the bank, my closing costs are probably like ten thousand dollars. I can do five deals, right? Yeah. But if I borrow fifty thousand dollars, you know what I'm saying, or hundred thousand dollars, I can scale much faster, right? Right. So then it becomes as fast as I can find a deal. Now mm-hmm. the deals have to be a little bit better if I'm gonna do it with private money, because I need to make sure that the deal accounts for, once I get, once I refinance um, out of the deal, right? So I get rid of the hard money lender and I get like a, a longer term loan. Right. Once I do that, I need to be able to, I ideally wanna be able to pull out the money that I put in, I mean, mm-hmm. to pay off the hard money lender. And then ideally I'd like to also be able to pay off my, my private money lender at that time, right? Yeah. So then I basically don't end up coming out of pocket for anything. So the deal is probably going to have to be a little bit better than 70 percent so that I can basically have that wiggle room um, once I once I want to. Well, let me let me slow down. So Mm -hmm. with my preferred lender, 70 percent, right, they lend up 70 percent. When I do the refinance, typically it's going to be 75 to 80 percent, depending upon the lender. Um, Mm -hmm. So if they if they're going to do that, that gives me five to 10 percent of the ARV that I can use to pay back the private lender, right? Got so it. if those numbers work out, cool. If not, I may look at, hey, you know what? Let me just get a little bit higher, you know, so I can also, um, excuse me, <clears throat> in that case, uh, yeah, so so I can also, yeah, so basically I try to find a deal that works so that I can get, ideally, pay them back and not have to come out of pocket. But yeah. at the end of the day, if I accumulate a property and all I have to do is pay for the closing costs, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good deal. So yeah. I don't need to get everything back, but I make sure that they get paid back first yeah. before anybody else. So I make sure my private money lenders get paid back. So Awesome. Uh, are there strategies you use to find your private lenders? Like where do you go to find private lenders that are willing to lend you money for these deals? 
Interesting. So uh, <laughs> I actually I've never asked for oh, any money. Okay. So wow. <laughs> yeah. So um, so pretty much uh, kind of talked about the social the social aspect of it, right? So right. Um, I post everything that I'm doing. So so there's a couple things that 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 I that I need in order to have a private money lender. I'm so one is they have to have the money, right? Mm -hmm. And the money could be in a lot of different ways. It could be sitting in the bank, could be in some stocks, it could be equity in their home, whatever it is. And they have to have money and they have to have somewhat of an interest in either real estate or getting a return on their investment. Mm -hmm. That's okay. it. So I just need those two things, right? So how do I find those two things, right? For me, what I do is, I. oh, and the other thing is, to some degree, they also have to sort of trust me, right? Mm -hmm. uh, right. Or trust that I'll give their money back, right? Because there's right. some amount of trust. Because I actually do um, unsecured uh, promissory notes, right? Okay. So, and I do that, and I give a return on investment. I, I don't do it on a per-due basis. Um, I ideally want to basically get the money, um, borrow the money from them, hold on to it for 12 months, give them a certain interest every month, right? Mm -hmm. And I want to basically hold on to that money for that period of time because I know that worst case scenario I can do with the money they, they give me, I can do two bursts, right? Assuming it's going to take six months, I can do two bursts and then give them their money back, right? Mm -hmm. So I also want to hold on to that money because I don't necessarily know when a deal is going to happen, right? right. The other thing is when it comes to private money lenders, sometimes they have the money and other times things come up and they don't have it, right? So right. if you're willing to lend me today, I'll take the money today. Cause I know that I'm going to find a deal. Right. Right. So, um, the other thing is, so how do I find somebody with these three things? Right. So what I do is I basically put out there, um, all the stuff that I do on social media. So what that does in the mind of a private money, um, lender, potential private money lender is to say, man, this guy, Ben has been doing this real estate thing for a while. Look, he's actually doing something. I see his properties. Mm -hmm. Right. So in their mind, they're like, he's a real estate investor. Right? right. So they take you a little bit more seriously when they see the stuff that you're doing. Right. And it doesn't have to be a lot. I mean, I, I, you know, I have a whole bunch of properties, but like I'm also on top of mind when I'm doing all these deals and I'm posting all this stuff. They see my face doing real estate. Right. Right. So then what comes with that? So and a lot of it is just kind of my 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 network in general. Right. So also, whenever I talk to people, right, I have a conversation with people. I would say, hey, I'm a I'm a real estate investor. You know, mm -hmm. I really uh, invest out of state and also provide an opportunity for investors to get return on their money. Yeah. So I always say that. And now when I say I'm a real estate investor or I say that I provide that money, it opens the mm -hmm. door for people if they're interested or have any interest at all to ask right. me a question. Maybe not at that time. They may reach out to me on social media or something like that. But it gives them an opportunity to say, hey, oh, you know, I've always thought about getting into real estate. OK, cool. Yeah. So I sit down. I talk to people. I, I, I put them on game as to exactly what I'm doing. You know, and quite frankly, there's a lot of people that don't have the time. Um, mm -hmm. And they don't really have the inkling to do all that it takes to get these real estate deals done. So right. if they're interested, but and they have money, but they don't have time, that's when I come in, right? Yeah. So I don't really ask, but I tell them when I do, if they ask additional questions as to, oh, tell me a little bit more about how that uh, um, return on the investment works. Then I let them know, right? Yeah. So the one thing that I do is I periodically check on them, right? So like, it, let's just say at that time they say that. You know, oh, I might be interested in that. Okay, cool. You know, I 
periodically follow up with them and say, hey, you know, you know, we kind of talked before um, you said that, you know, you might be interested in, you know, maybe right. lending some money. You know, is, is now a good time for that? Or do you want to have another conversation about it? So I basically put it out there there. So I'm basically yeah. following up with, people, you know, if they express some amount of interest. Right. Yeah. So but at that point in time, whenever they are, they're going to let me know, hey, now's the time this works for me. Let's go. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of how how I do it. Oh, and the other thing is I also have a uh, I have a real estate experience portfolio that I have. Right. So I basically have all the deals that I've done mm-hmm. um, throughout, throughout my entire career. PowerPoint presentation. I shoot that off to them. If they want some additional information. I also have another um, presentation, PowerPoint presentation that, ha- that kind of walks through sort of my entire strategy in terms of what I'm doing, the burr, the areas that I'm looking at, um, what what the what I'm expecting of them, what they should uh, get in return, all the all the information that they have, and then I basically send those two things out to them, and then we have a conversation after that. So yeah. yeah. Are there certain things that I should avoid when approaching a private lender? Like uh, certain things I shouldn't say or certain things I should avoid maybe in the deal, the way I structure the deal itself, right? The agreement yeah. between myself and the lender. Uh, yeah. So the first thing I would say is never assume how much money somebody has to invest, right? And I say that by like, don't give a minimum, mm-hmm. don't give a maximum. Right. Because you never know where one may may be in terms of that. Right. Right. Um, The other things to sort of other things to avoid is, like I said, I I mean, this is sort of my strategy. I mean, there's there's a number of books in in terms of what people talk about. But I just don't really ask for money. Right. Like I look for. And right now I'm also doing it in my sort of private circle. Right. So these are friends, family um, and friends of friends. Right. Mm -hmm. So a lot of that. Like I'm so I'm basically dealing with people that have some familiarity with who I am. Right. Right. So um, I don't typically ask. Um, so the the things that I would avoid. Well, so the way that I structure. So let me talk about the way that I structure. So I structure 12 months interest only payments for 12 months. And I pretty much give them about what my hard money lender gives me. Right. So it's it's almost like additional money from uh, my hard money lender, right? Mm-hmm. So my hard money lender gives me about you know ten percent. So I'm giving them about usually between ten and twelve percent uh, for the year, right? It's pretty competitive with the S and P five hundred. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of people consider that you know it's guaranteed money also, um, right. and I also give them the option if they if they really are if they really feel like, uh, you know, I'm worried about my money. I also allow them sometimes to put a uh, second position lien um, on the property uh, okay. that I'm that I'm flipping. So or, or not, that I'm doing the bird with. Yeah. So. OK. And you mentioned it's a 12 month and you do interest only payments for the 12 months or do you, is it a balloon payment at the end of the 12 months? Yeah, it's uh, interest only payments uh, every month. And then I pay back mm-hmm. the principal um, after a year. Okay, has has there any has there been anyone that you have said no to like you I will not take your money is there certain scenarios where you will not accept money from somebody? There hasn't been yet, but like I said, it, a lot of it, um, yeah, a lot of it is just people that I know, yeah. anyways. So, um, I haven't yet. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, let's get into uh, the Burr method. You know, before the interview, I asked you, hey, is there a topic that you want to talk about? And you mentioned the Burr method. We've yeah. talked about it a lot in this interview already. Uh, yeah. And so for folks in the audience who aren't familiar with it, could you give us a little bit of an overview of what we mean by the Burr method and why we're so excited about this topic? 
Yeah. So, so the Burr method, Burr just Burr means buy, rehab, rent, refinance, and repeat. Right. So, like I said, you know, you're you're buying a property, mm-hmm. um, you're doing a value add fix up, right? Yeah. So, um, and once you buy the property, to buy the property, you finance. I finance it with hard money, right? Yeah. So that's the way that I do it. Um, so I finance it with hard money. I rehab it so that I can get up to that ARV that my loan is based upon. Mm-hmm. And then I refinance with a longer term loan, you know, bank loan, 20, 25 years or a DSCR that's going to be like 30 years. So yeah. I refinance, pull out the money um, to pay back the hard money lender. Yeah. Right. And then I have and then at that point in time, my assumption is that I'm going to have a cash flowing property. Right. Yeah. And then if I'm able to basically pay back the entire, um, you know, pay back the hard money lender and all of my closing costs, I come out of right. no money at all. Right. So whatever money I initially used, let's just say it's private money or my own money, right? Right. Then after the refinance, I can repeat and go buy another identical property and do the same thing, right? So you can keep this going over and over again. So it's, it's sort of the acceleration of money, right? So right. Um, you're using leverage to basically pay, f- uh, using leverage to pay for the purchase and rehab of the property, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get the money out to pay that person back. Hopefully, all the money that you put in, you can pull out. Right. And use that money for another deal. So for me, that really allows me to scale, particularly if I'm using small banks um, to actually. So if I can basically buy a property, have it rehabbed in four to six weeks, rent it out, lease signed and, you know, another six weeks. So that's three months. Right. I have a hard money lender. I mean, I have a, a DCR lender that basically will do a refinance after 91 days right, from mm-hmm. purchase. So if I can refinance and three months once i once the lease is signed cash flowing property refinance out i can move on to the next deal so for me i know that i have a flow in terms of as long as everything works as expected right <laughs> um things happen but um as long as that happens i can basically repeat every three months right so for me that means i can do 12 ideally four in 12 months i can do four different deals using the same money so for me that really allows me to really accelerate um, I've done a lot of strategies before. Um, this is the one that really works well for me because I'm really trying to scale. So, right. um, like I said, last year I had 10 properties. You know, 2022 I had 10 properties. Um, now I want to have, I want to double that to 20 this year, right? So how do I get to that? You know, that's basically, it's going to be just about one every month, right? So in order for that to happen, I got to basically have a nice pool of money in terms of private money. Mm-hmm. I also need to be able to execute this burst strategy, right? Yeah. Um, and basically continue to do it every three to six months, right? So yeah. that's the goal for me. Um, and it's really just, you know, scaling fast, right? So for me, I just, I wanna accumulate, now is an amazing time to buy properties. Like people are like, oh Ben, are you concerned about buying properties right now? I said, listen, I feel like I'm going, I feel like I'm right now, I'm, I'm shopping for properties and it's Black Friday, right? Or Cyber <laughs> Monday. I feel like everything right. is a deal right now because right. Everything's cheaper than it was literally six months ago. Right. And it's not like the price of properties are going to eventually, like, you know, go to nothing. Right. They're eventually going to come back. Who knows the time frame? I'm going to hold on to my properties for a very long time anyways. So I know it's going to get back up to that point at some point. So I'm buying at a discount. Right. Right. And sure, are interest rates high? Yes. But I factor that into what I'm going to pay for the particular property. Right. Right. So I make sure that I can still cash flow. And if the interest rates go down, I refinance. Yeah. So for me, like it's a great time to buy. So I'm literally I'm in scale mode right now trying to buy anything <laughs> that works. 
So yeah, uh, for folks I guess who don't know, uh, when we say ARV, we refer we're referring to the after repair value, right? So when you are underwriting a property and you're determining, hey, like you're analyzing it. How do you determine what it will be worth after you do the rehab? Like, how do you accurately calculate the ARV? Yeah, so for me, um, I pretty much run the numbers myself, um, and I do the comps. So I use two different I use two different things in order to get uh, that inform the information that I need. I'm looking yeah. at uh, PropStream uh, for the yeah. comps, and I'm also looking at Privy. Right? So I use them both just because. Um, you get a different set of data. Uh, PropStream actually spits out a number for you, generally speaking, which is sort of the average. Privy sort of kind of gives you a bunch of different properties, and you kind of have to do a little bit of math yourself. So I do those two things for my initial ARV. So when I'm calculating the ARV also, I'm looking for a very similar property Yeah. that's very close, that's close by, right? So if if my property has the same square footage, but mine is a ranch style and another one's two stories, it's not a comp for me, right? Got it. So I got to find similar style style houses, right? Mm-hmm. Close by one another. Usually I like to do um, a quarter of a mile uh, radius around it. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes, depending upon how dense it is, I maybe go up to like a half or a mile, right? Um, so I use that to get the set of properties that closest match. And I pretty much look at what type of rehabs that they've, they've actually done on it, right? Is it... Is it a property that's looking like this distressed property that I have? If that's the case, I throw it out, right? I don't even look at it at all. I look at right. only properties that have been rehabbed and those that are going to be rehabbed similar to the one, similar to how I'm going to rehab this particular property. I take all of those, I take the average of those, and that's kind of where I get my number from. Um, I also ask my realtor, I say, hey, listen, I need an ARV for this. So, right. um, see, my realtor then gives me a list of comparable properties, whatever criteria that she uses. And then the last question, I, and I do something similar, just in case there's some information there that I don't have on the, the properties I'm looking at. Um, and the last question that I ask her is I say, okay, what would you list this property for? Right? Yeah. Some of them don't feel comfortable giving you an ARV. Some of them do. But I, yeah. but I really ask, what would you list this property for? Right? And so with that, I pretty much have a good idea as to what a real, real estate agent would list a property for. So I use that as my ARV. Um, for all the calculations that I'm doing. Yeah, awesome. Uh, similar question, the other part of, you know, figuring out uh, underwriting a deal for uh, the Burr method is then you need to calculate the rehab costs. Do you have any strategies or tips on how to estimate the rehab cost itself? Yeah, so I do a pretty, so I do a couple of, I do a couple of calculations, right? So I look at a lot of properties. I probably offer a property at least on the MLS. I'll probably offer at least four per week, right? I mean, not a, anyways, I do four per week, right? So I actually end up analyzing a lot of properties. So um, I don't put them all through my extensive spreadsheet in terms of uh, flooring price per square foot, uh, approximately, you know, square foot for, for painting roof. I have, I have a calculator that basically does all those things. What is a standard kitchen cost? based upon the grade that I'm going to do, um, a, a bunch of different things that I have there. If I need to do the electrical, whatever it has, I have a spreadsheet that basically gives me the price of those things. And I've basically talked to a number of different contractors, my property managers, to get a good idea as to what things cost in that particular area, right? So I have that spreadsheet. But then typically what I do when I do the initial, when I initially run the numbers, is I look at, okay, I know the square footage is about this, right? Mm-hmm. So I know for me, 
if I'm doing a strictly cosmetic, right? Just like literally just painting floors, it's probably going to be about, usually I'm going to end up at about $15 a square foot. Okay. Approximately, right? So I use that as a rough number, right? Mm -hmm. If I know that I need to do another mechanical or a little bit more extensive, I know it's going to be about 25. It's full gut. It's probably going to be about $50 yeah. um, per square foot. So I use that as sort of an initial. And I get a lot of these numbers from my contractor. I have a good relationship with them. And we kind of talk about, like, listen, I'm not holding you to this number, but I just want to get a good idea when I'm running my numbers because I don't want to waste your time. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, like, you know, if, if I'm going to do a calculation, like, approximately what is it going to be? And a pretty right. good contractor is going to get pretty close based upon um, – what the price per square foot is typically right yeah. so because they've done it enough so they have a pretty good idea yeah so um yeah the initial and then i have a i have a spreadsheet that basically and then i also talk to my contractor in terms of okay and it's also experience right so i know that i've i've replaced an hvac right i've done reducting before right, right. i know how much a water heater costs so each one of the, every time i get one of those things that is done I keep track of what the price that I pay for that, right? And I add that to okay. my spreadsheet. So now my yeah. spreadsheet has all that information in it. And I also kind of talk to my contractor in terms of the typical things that I'm seeing, like how much do those things cost, right? Obviously, you know, it's going to be paint flooring. How much does a kitchen cost? How much does a bathroom cost? Pretty basic stuff, right? So once you have that, um, for me, there's a lot of areas. And, and there's, you know, in every area, there's something that typically ends up having needing to happen for a property, right? Like for me, it's a sewer lateral replacement, right? Or a electrical box, right? So I want to get those numbers of things that I see all the time that need to be done based upon the pictures that I see. I want to just get those like rough numbers in terms of what it's going to cost. So that way I can kind of plug it in for myself. So I have a good idea before I actually send a contractor out there to give me a complete bid. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's a lot of really valuable information. <laughs> I feel like I can take away so much from that. Um, we do have to wrap up soon. So I want to ask you, you know, for folks who are listening and are inspired and they want to get started in real estate investing, do you have any advice to them on how to get started? Yeah. Um, yeah, a couple of things. Um, first thing is educate yourself, yeah. right? So there are books. There's lots of books, right? Lots of books, lots of podcasts. Um, educate yourself. And the other thing that's really nice about that is it also kind of motivates you a little bit to sort of see other people's success, right? right. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is join RIAs, meetups, go talk to people about real estate, pick their right. brains, talk to them about what you're trying to do, what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing is get a coach, right? Okay. But get a good coach, right? Like get someone who you get along with that is doing business in the manner that you would want them to do it, that, that you want to do it. Right. You know, right. for me, I'm like, listen, I want somebody that does business with integrity that literally is out there to help people. Like that's what I'm looking for, but still is successful in what they're doing. So right. that's what that's. And I'm also trying to buy rentals. So that's how I pick the coach that I want. So whatever they also need to be able to help you. And so I, I say a coach. Um, and the other thing is, it's also nice to have a mentor too, right? So someone maybe in a rear or something like that, you kind of, maybe that's in your local market, right? That you can bounce ideas off of. Hey, you know, I'm looking at this property. What do you think? Right. Or, you know, I'm not really familiar with this area. This is kind of the first time I bought something here. What do you think about this area? Right. Is it, mm -hmm. is it changing? Right. So coach, mentor. Um, and then, I mean, the, you know, the last thing is just 
take action, right? Yeah. So you can try to get all the pieces together that you have. Like, I, I got to build this team. We got to get this, all this stuff. Look, at the end of the day, you got to find a deal, right? Mm -hmm. So be consistent about that. Be consistent and take action every single day. So that's analyzing properties, that's setting appointments, having somebody go see properties, going see properties, making offers, make offers. Just be consistent in terms of whatever you're doing to try and find deals, right? So that, and then build your team, right? Like the the, the absolute things that you need to have, somebody to help find you deals, and then someone to basically fund those deals, right? So you need a proof of funds just so that, you know, when you put in an offer, they're going to like, can you, how can you pay for this, right? You want to know how that's. So once you have those two pieces, just go out there and find a deal. And the other yeah. thing is, like, your first deal doesn't have to be a home run. It can be a base hit. Um, you know, you could you could basically do do a burr and have to, you know, come out of pocket like $5,000. Oh, this, this method doesn't work. <laughs> no, you, you have a class point rental property, right? So right. the idea is it doesn't have to be a, it doesn't have to be a great deal. Just get out there and do a deal because the second time right. you do it, you're not going to make the same mistakes, right? It's all about growing and getting information. You're going to have your coach. You're going to have your mentor that's going to help you. But some of it is just your own experience, your own confidence, and that would just kind of build. So yeah. that's kind of the advice that I would give to people that are sort of starting out. Um, yeah. Exciting. So you uh, briefly touched on this, but I'm curious to hear your next steps. I know you. one of your goals is to double your portfolio. Are there other things that you have planned for the near future in 2023? Yeah, I actually, um, so all of my properties right now are long-term rentals. So I'd like to also get into um, some short-term rentals. Okay. So um, my my hope is to get four short-term rentals also. Um, mm -hmm. In addition to the Burr method, I also do some flips. So yeah. um, so I'd like to also do um, six flips this year. Um, okay. So I like to do both. Um, yeah. my, my flips pay for my marketing and also mm -hmm. so, so there's some of the holding costs that I have and stuff like that. So, right. um, yeah, I like to do flips too. So, um, those are pretty much my goals for, uh, for this year. Yeah, that's ambitious and it's really exciting. Um, <laughs> if people want to follow your journey or they want to reach out to you, uh, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah. Instagram, um, or Facebook, uh, Ben Hubert. Yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah, um, uh, it'll be a link, uh, B E N H U B B E R T. So, yeah, that's the best way to get a hold of me, um, you know, see my journey, you know, uh, DM me, you know, I'm always I always love to talk about real estate. So, <laughs> yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'll add that link to the description as well. Uh, I learned a ton today. Thank you so much, Ben. I I feel like I'm so motivated now that I just want to go and start looking at deals and looking at, you know, trying to um, write some offers. So thank you so much for, you know, taking the time to talk to us today. And I hope our audience also enjoys. Uh, learn something absolutely hey thank you so much yeah all right that is the end of today's episode i hope you enjoyed it and if you did i would really appreciate it if you could take a moment to give me a five-star rating on whichever platform you're listening to me on it would really help my mission of teaching more people about real estate investing thank you and i'll see you in the next one 